Today's sermon passage is Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia, now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Amen. Thank you, Ashley. You may be seated. As you find your seat, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, in the name of Jesus we gather. Our Father, this is our prayer. 
Would you speak to your people today? Would you move us to a worship that honors you and a worship that glorifies your name and a worship that is good for your people? Would you stir us to to interact with your goodness and your grace and your mercy in this way? And Lord, would you help me to, to guide and to teach your people this morning? Lord, I need your power. I need your help. I need the work of your spirit just as your people do. So we're asking for you to work in this room in in a mighty way. Help us, O God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So good to see all of you this morning, and it is very good that we are able to be together. If you haven't already, please take your Bible and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 15. So here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Exodus. And the the banner that we've put over the book of Exodus is, Our God saves. Our God saves his people. He delivers his people. And the story of the book of Exodus has been building all the way to the end of chapter 14. God's people are in slavery. God's people are oppressed. Will God respond When will God respond? How will God respond? These are the questions. And then we come to this great event known as the Passover, where God brings death to every home in Egypt. But because of the blood of the lamb on the door, he passes over the Israelite homes. And in this great event, Pharaoh says, be gone. So death came to to every home except the homes where the blood of the lamb was on the door. And then after saying, be gone, Pharaoh changes his mind and he comes after the people of Israel and they are hemmed in up against the Red Sea and God definitively and finally moves his people out of Egypt by parting the sea, the people moving through, and then using the waters of the sea to destroy the army of Pharaoh. In one event, the the armies of Pharaoh, the, the evil people who are after God's people are destroyed and God's people are finally free from Egypt. This is a huge turning point. And what do they do? What do they do? 430 years in slavery, 430 years of crying out and of saying, how long, O Lord? And the, the work, it's done. We are free. What do they do? Exodus chapter 15 tells us they sing. They sing. And I, I believe that Exodus 15 kind of summary is called the Song of Moses. So I'll use that today as a summary. But I believe that this Song of Moses is important for us as well. Now let's, let's, do, let's do a little theology right here out of the gate. But how do we connect to this Exodus story? 
Our connection to this Exodus story is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Our connection to this story is through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, whereby he saved his people and delivered his people from sin and death. That's our connection to the story. And just as Exodus 15 is vitally important for the people of Israel to learn to worship God as God is working for them, it is vitally important that we learn to worship God as God is is fighting for and working for us, the people of Jesus. And so the importance of this song in Exodus 15 for the people of Israel, I believe, is likewise important for us. Learning to turn the works and the character and the promises of God into words of praise and adoration and thanksgiving and telling of his greatness is our calling as the people of God. Because if we are anything, we are those in whom Christ has delivered us. That's our message. That's our theme. And it's the song of Moses that says, root your place in the world, root your identity, root your language, root your thought, root your action in this hope. God saves his people. God fights for his people. And Psalm, or excuse me, I keep saying Psalm because this is very Psalm-like, but Exodus 15 shows us Moses, God's prophet, God's messenger, teaching God's people how to worship God as God works for them. So here's, here's my burden this morning. If I could just, like, if I could just boil it down to a couple words. The act of singing God's praises is a gift for God's people. The act of singing God's praises is a gift for God's people. It teaches us about God. It points our hearts toward thankfulness and toward dependence and toward hope. And it shapes who we are. Now, worship, technically defined, is much broader than singing. Worship is a whole life committed to the service of God. But this passage focuses particularly on a song and how the song written in the moment was intended to shape the life of the people on the journey to the promised land. So I want us to learn to see singing the praises of God as a gift for us. For us as the people of God, for us as the church of Christ, for us as followers of Christ. And we're going to see that it's a gift in the words, in the artistry, and in the community. 
But the goal is that I've entitled this sermon, Learning to Sing. I'm not concerned about an A flat or a C minor. Those are musical chords, right? See, I don't even know. If you sit by me, you'll hear off-key, resounding gong kind of noises up here on the front left. I'm not concerned about tone or pitch or melody. I'm concerned about learning to look to the Lord and, and celebrate his goodness because this is a gift for the people of God. And when Christ brought us our salvation, he brought us in to the joyful worship of God's greatness. Let's learn to sing. So first point, if you're a note taker, we'll dive into the psalm here. The words of worship or the words of the song. There's an important content to this song. The latter half of verse 1 all the way through the end of verse 18 is the content of the song. And the song is intended to celebrate specific things that God has done. It's intended to celebrate specific things about who God is. It's intended to point God's people to specific things he's promised he'll do in the future. The content of the song matters. And so one of the challenges for us as the people of God is to learn the words, to learn the content, to learn the, the things that God is to be praised for, and then to have our hearts drawn into such Praise. But for a moment, let's focus on the words of the song. <clears throat> Verse, the end of chapter 14, and then again repeated in verse 19, tell us that the context of this song is the parting of the Red Sea, God's people passing through, and the waters destroying the Egyptians. Verse 19, for when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. So this is the, the, the place of the song. Now, what do they sing to God? What words do they sing to God? I see three types of words in this song. First, they celebrate the specific things God did for his people. They, they celebrate God's specific work in the Red Sea event. Look at the, the latter half of, of verse one. I will sing to the Lord. Why? For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he is thrown into the sea. So we are singing to the Lord because specifically he triumphed over Egypt for his people. He destroyed the army of Pharaoh. Specifically, we are celebrating a specific work that God has done and we're going to recount it, we're going to praise him, and we're going to celebrate it. Then if you look at verses four through 10, what we have there is great specificity about how God delivered his people. 
Chariots cast in the sea, officers sunk in the sea, floods covering them into the depths like a stone. The right hand of God, glorious in power, the right hand of God shatters the enemy. The greatness of his majesty overthrows his enemy. It consumes the enemy like stubble. At the blast of his nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy pursued, but God blew his wind and the sea covered them. They sank like, the, like lead in the mighty waters. Do you see what's going on here? What's being said is, by God's power, God worked very specifically for his people. And the words of the song, the words of worship flow through the very specific things that God has done and is doing for his people. So, friends, if we want to learn the words of the song, we can look at specific things that God has done for his people in the past. The song of Moses is filled with those specific things, and we can celebrate them. The book of Psalms is filled with specific things that God has done for his people. And frankly, every page of the totality of the Bible is filled with specific things that God has done for his people, and we can celebrate those. We look specifically at the cross and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and we see what he has done for his people and we celebrate those specific things. But you know what? God did not stop working for his people 2,000 years ago. He's working for his people today. One of the greatest spiritual habits we can cultivate is to look back over a day, look back over a week, look back over a year, and, and look for the specific ways that God has been at work in your life, your family, and this church. Memorialize them, write them down, celebrate them, and turn them to God in praise, which is saying, thank you, you did this, you are glorious, you are mighty, you are powerful. If I wanted to have a unanimous election on anything right now, it would be this. I propose that 2020 is terrible. All in favor say, okay. Now I challenge you, go home and pray this. Talk about this around your dinner table. What are specific things that God's done for us in 2020? Because we're gonna memorialize them and we're gonna celebrate them and we're gonna praise him for them. And if you can find that in 2020, friends, 2021 has a whole lot of hope. 2021 has a whole lot of hope, whether you, 2020, whatever, it doesn't matter, okay? But the words of the song are the specific things that God has done for his people. And I would just say I've learned that the more specific I can be in my thanksgiving, the more joyful my heart is and the more freely my praise flows. I put that challenge before you. So when our kids were like four-year-olds, 
I have a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an almost 11-year-old. When they were like four, we would do this thing at Thanksgiving where we would cut a bunch of hands out, and you'd write something you're thankful for, and you'd stick it on a, on a turkey's head, and by the end of the month, you got a whole vibrant picture of a Thanksgiving turkey, right? So we were talking to our kids the other day, and they were like, can we do that again? That was one of our favorite things. I'm like, really? You're asking me to trace your 15-year-old hand so you can stick that on a door? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, okay. You know why? Because that's a habit that's going to condition us to very specifically be thankful for what the Lord has done and is doing. The words of the song always move through what the Lord is doing. Second thing we see in here, in the words of the song, is we see, we see a connection to God's character. So we see Moses praising God for his character. We see Moses connecting events to things that are true of God's character. And this is important because, as we said, have you ever been hemmed in up against the Red Sea and needed God to deliver you? No. But the character of God that's, that's displayed in that event, that's true when you leave here. That's true right now. It's always true of God, and his people can count on him being faithful to his character. So the words of the song also move us to connect our life events to the character of God. Go right back to verse 1. I will sing to the Lord for he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. That was the event. Look at verse 2. The Lord is my strength. That's a character statement about God. He's the strength of his people. He's my song. He's worthy of my praise. That's a character statement about God. He has become my salvation. He alone is our deliverer. That's a character statement about God. This is my God, I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, a warrior for his people. That's a character statement about God. The Lord, Yahweh, the specific covenant name of God to his people is what he will be celebrated as. That's a character statement about God. So you see what Moses is doing here? Is he's taking this specific event and he's connecting it to the character of God. The, song, the words of the song, the words of worship will celebrate the character of God. Now this, this one is a little bit more of a learned habit. So if you might say, man, Jamie, like I'm, I'm new to the Bible, I'm new to the faith. okay. There's a book in the middle of the Bible called Psalms. There's 150 of them. Some of them are short. Some of them are long. But these Psalms take real events in the life of God's people and connect them to the character of God. They help us learn to make that connection. The easiest connection for me 
in my life to the character of God is just to look at my own sin because it's ever present and ever apparent. And so when I'm faced with my sin, I certainly pray for specific deliverance in that moment. But but what do I go to? Lord, you sent your son to die because of sinners like me. That's That's the truth about the character of God. I trust that the blood of Christ covers my sin. That's leaning into the character of God. I trust that you've sent your spirit to dwell within me, to help me in this battle against sin. That's leaning into what is true about God. And so the words of the song will lean into the character of God. There's so many things we could say. We're just tackling what's in Exodus 15. But the third reality we see in Exodus 15 is we see that the The words of the song prepare God's people for God's future blessing. The words of the song cause the people to long for God's future blessing. This is in verses 13 through 18. And before we look at them, Moses is talking about things that haven't fully happened yet as if they have. You've led your people into your holy abode. Well, they're moving in that direction, but they're not there yet. The nations fear and tremble at your name. Well, they're moving in that direction, but the event just happened. You will bring your people in. You will plant your people in your place. The Lord will do that, but it hasn't fully happened yet and you will reign forever. Do you see what Moses is doing? Is in this Psalm, he's celebrating the promises of God that will come to pass as if they have come to pass as a way to cause the people to worship God for his future blessing. These verses are so future-oriented that some scholars have argued that, that, that 13 through 18 were written at the end of Moses' life and superimposed back this way. Because how could he have known is the argument. I just don't think that's true at all. I think Moses, inspired by the, the Spirit of God, knew that God would keep his promises. He knew that God didn't set them free from Egypt to leave them on the other side of the Red Sea. He set them free to take them to the land. He knew that he was taking them to the land to fulfill the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knew that he was taking them to the land to make them his people and for him to be their God. And he knew that he would reign forever and ever. And so the words of the song are are filled with what God has promised he will do for his people, which is calling us to believe it. So again, if you're new to this, the Bible is full of promises like the Lord will reign forever and ever. And when you see them, you should mark them. You should revisit them. You should consider them. 
You should pray through them and you should, you should thank God that he will reign forever and ever in such a way that it radically orients who you are. Here's one simple promise from the New Testament that we can all cling to. Jesus said, before he left the earth, I go to prepare a place for you. And I come back, you'll be with me, and I'll be with you. The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, that Austin referenced earlier, when sin is no more, when death is no more, when the consequences of sin are gone forever, and we unhinderedly get to worship before the throne of God forever, that will be. And we can trust it to be as if it's happened, past tense. We can, our worship flows through these future promises in such a way that we are motivated to joy and confidence and hope no matter the challenges of this life. The words of the song matter. The words of the song matter. Let's learn the language of worship. Now, I want to say this here. This type of worship for God, worship of God, is only good news for the children of God. See, if we're in Christ, the scripture says that we were sinners who've been forgiven we were enemies who've been made friends. We were rebels who've been brought into the family. Therefore, the fact that God loves his children is good news. The fact that God defeats his enemies is good news. The fact that his promises stand forever for his people is good news because of Christ. If any of us are here today and we, we don't know if we're a Christian, we don't know if we've, we've ever become a follower of Jesus then the first step for you is to turn away from rebellion and believe upon the name of Jesus. Confess your sin and believe in him. And the scripture says you'll be forgiven. Until we move into relationship with Christ, we are actually the enemies of God. Our connection to the, the Passover Red Sea story is actually with Egypt and with Pharaoh but we can become the children of God through the blood of Christ. So if that's where you are today, I would just ask you would, you, would you just consider the invitation of Christ? Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I'll forgive your sin. Come to me and I'll make you a child of God. And if that's where you are today, I would love to talk with you. I'll be right out there after this service. I would love to talk with you. I'd love to help you consider Christ. So in Exodus 15, we see the words of the song. There, there's two more things we see. I promise they're shorter. But second, we see the artistry of the song. We see the artistry of worship. Now, I have to confess, because some of you don't know me that well, I am a very boring 90-year-old man trapped in a 40-year-old's body Let's read a book that's dense and long and talk about it in meandering ways. 
Like, that's me. And I've been told that's too many people here at Redeemer. That's good. God works that way. But this isn't that. Do you know why? Because artistry helps us remember God's greatness. And when I say artistry, here's what I mean. When, when you see in your Bible the language in the English set off like it is in this passage, that means that in the original language it was poetry, okay? Now, it's hard to take Hebrew poetry and turn it into English poetry, but what is poetry? It, it's, it's, it's truth, it's content written in a way that is short, punchy, memorable, and repetitive, right? Like the purpose of poetry is to captivate us and to draw us into it. Let me just prove a point. How many of you have ever been in the shower on Monday morning repeating a quote from one of my sermons? Anybody? None of you. None of you. And if you pretend, you're lying. How many of you have been in the shower on Monday morning singing a refrain from a song that we sang at church on a Sunday? I'm not offended by that because it's the artistry that causes us to remember. It's the artistry that, that brings us in. So not only is artistry a connection for remembrance, but artistry is a connection for emotion as well. The Red Sea event was supposed to create joy. It was supposed to evoke happiness. It was supposed to evoke unbelievable exuberance. Athletic events get emotion right. Have you ever been to a UT football game and seen somebody emotionally neutral? No. We're either the greatest thing ever or we're terrible and there's nothing in the middle. And right now we're just terrible. <laughs> John, you can say amen in that Arkansas shirt over there, okay? All right. But the point is God's work in the world is intended to move all of who we are toward God. And so a joyful event like this is intended to bring expression of joy out of his people. And I would argue that Moses wrote this psalm to do just that. And at the end of the service, we're going to sing a modernized song that's a modernized version of, song, of Exodus 15 that's intended to bring about great joy in God for his deliverance through Christ. This is intended to bring about joy. And then if you go over to the book of Psalms, the ones that are about agony are intended to bring out appropriate agony to the Lord. We need artistry to help us fully express our emotion in the presence of God. Because the reality is God deserves our joy and he can handle our sorrow. He's the Lord of all of it and everything in between. So I would say church of Jesus at large, but particularly Redeemer Church, let's learn that the artistry of worship, the artistry of the song is intended to help us engage with the God who is at work in the world. Let's lean into the artistry. Let's celebrate the artistry. Let's emote 
properly. Third, the community of worship. What is going on in Exodus 15 is not a series of private worship moments. It's not as if Moses said, everyone go to your car and shut the door and put on your favorite song and sing to God. There's a place for that, but this was a communal event. Look at verse one. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song. They did it together. Look at verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord. It's the same song. Moses and the people, Miriam and the women, they are singing the song together so that the song will shape the nation. They're singing the song together so that the hearts of the nation together will be attuned to the work of God and the praise that's due his name. They responded to this great event by singing together. The song in community will shape a people. Let's think about this for a minute in the context of Exodus. From the first 14 chapters of Exodus, we know that the worship of God's people was hindered in some way in Egypt. It doesn't spell it out for us, but the cry to Pharaoh over and over and over was, let my people go that my people may go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord or hold a feast to the Lord. And so we know that in some way, the worship of God's people was hindered. It doesn't spell out exactly how, but was, was hindered in Egypt. And so as they've been delivered, Moses is shaping the new people with the new rhythms of, of worshiping God in ways that are acceptable in his sight. Here's something else to consider. The Israelites had been stuck in Egypt for generations upon generations. And being stuck in Egypt, they were, they were inundated with um, false gods and ideas about false gods. And I can't help but think that one of the things that had to be done in the pages of the rest of the book of Exodus are going to tell us this was that, Egypt, that the Israelites needed to work the Egypt out. They needed to work these, these false realities out and learn what it looks like to, to live as the people of God. And so the song, the communal singing, had a discipling and catechizing purpose to it. It was intended to teach the people how to live as the followers of God and to shape their thinking and to shape their worshiping. Another thought, we learn in chapter 12 and chapter 13 that a mixed multitude left with the, Egyptian, with the Israelites, which means some Egyptians went with them. They got some new converts among this, this gathering. The Passover was an evangelistic event, apparently, and people had joined 
the multitude. So therefore, this song has a discipling and catechizing purpose for the mixed multitude. Finally, what will Israel be known for? They will be known as the people of Yahweh who fights for them. This song shapes the narrative of who Israel is and what they have become. So, in the community, the worship of God matters. It is the worship of God that shapes the people of God. It's learning the metaphorical song that shapes the people of God. So worship matters to the community. Worship matters to the church. Worship is what holds us together. And by worship, I mean a commitment to the Lord and to his work and to his word and to his son and to his gospel and celebrating him for that in all of who we are. But the song is for the community. The community is shaped by the song. So let's learn to value the gathered worship of God's people as a gift for us in learning to cry out to the Lord and to trust him and to depend upon him. What would happen if we learned the rhythms of Exodus 15? I think this. Chapter 14, verse 31. They saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. We want this to be true of us. Let's see the song in its content, in its artistry, and in its community as a shaper for us as God's people. So now our Father and our God, we pray that you would take this word which you've spoken and as much as it's true and right and good that you would cause your people to hear it and believe it, we pray you would shape us In Jesus' name, amen.